Welcome, or welcome back to the Basin Church Podcast. Our mission here is to bring hope and wholeness. And we hope this content will help you find hope and take your next step towards wholeness. The rule followers, the rule breakers. But here's the thing. There's exceptions to the rule. There's exceptions to the rule. Let me tell you this. You've all heard this, and kids, you've heard this. Maybe growing up in school. What The, the, the one big exception to rules especially happens in us. It says, especially in the English language, it says, what, I before E except after C. All right, am I the only one, right? I before E except after C. So the rule is, is every time you write a word, the, after the C, the what? I comes before the E, but that's not the case, right? Because forfeit doesn't follow that, and glacier doesn't follow that, and weird doesn't follow that. So there's exceptions to the rule. As a matter of fact, the dictionary, Merriam-Webster's, says that it should not be a rule. You know why? Because that rule is broken 75% of the time. 75%. And they say, oh, it's, it's how it sounds and all this. But all of that to say rules have exceptions. And think about this. You have, you have rules and you have exceptions in relationships. See, we all have re- exceptions in relationships, right? And you're reminded of this, especially around the holidays. When people start to come over to your house or you have to go to the other side of the family, the in-laws. And you can get along with them throughout the week, but there's sometimes when you get there, you're just like dreading it. And so what's the exception? We're going to be nice for that period of time. If we don't get along, right? If we don't get along, then we're going to be nice. And you're thinking, oh, it's only three hours, it's only four hours. And then what happens? So that's the exception to the rule. I'm going to be nice to them. And then I'm going to go on my merry way and not talk to them until Christmas again, right? So we have these exceptions when it comes to that. And the other exception we have is not relationships with, with uh, people who are close to us and our in-laws. But we have exceptions when it comes to people who think and reason and talk like us and act like us and have the same worldview as us. See, it's easy for us when it comes to people like that, to accept them really well. Anybody who thinks like me, I don't have a problem with them. Someone who doesn't think like me, well, there's going to be some friction. And that's where division comes in. Because let's be honest, nobody wants to hear someone else's opinion when it doesn't line up with yours. And most oftentimes or not, we're put off by people who disagree with us. And so what happens is, is when you disagree, there's division that happens, right? It could be friendships, neighbors, family members. But there's division that happens. And when division happens, then two things happen. Either you kind of cut off the relationship or you're cordial. You're just nice. And so you continue to maintain friends. You continue to be neighbors. You continue to be made family members. But the, here's, the, here's the rule you have. Don't bring this up because we're going to agree to disagree because it causes division. Now, what you have to understand is this is not a new concept. Division happened when the church was first starting out. And there was division throughout the entire land of Israel and the entire Mesopotamian area. There is all this division because what happened was the Romans came in and they took over everything. You've heard of the Roman Empire. They take over everything. So people hate them. The Greeks hate them. Because when the Romans conquered somebody, 
they looked at you as weak and inferior and were better than you. So when they came in and they conquered your land, people, there was tension and division because they hated them for what they have done. And there's not only tension between, you know, the Romans and the Greeks. There was division between Jew and Gentile. And it's not just people. They had actually tension between cities. And the only way to resolve that tension is what? To destroy the city. So with all that as a backdrop of these divisions, the birth of Christianity happens and it is faced with division. After Jesus dies and, 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 and goes to heaven and he, and he rises from the dead, the church begins to start and begins to grow, but there's division within the church. And you think that those divisions of social status and, and people who are stronger and people who are weaker, you think that would be the issue, but the issue is not that at all. The most strict division that caused in the church was the Jewish religion. They had the one God, and the Gentiles did not. The Gentiles had many gods or pagan gods. So what happened was the Jews looked at the Gentiles as heathens. But what happens if a Gentile starts to believe in the way they believe? The division didn't stop. See, we can't really understand the division in religiously, but we can understand division because we have seen it. We have lived through it. We understand what division is. But believe it or not, here's the thing. Division did not stop them. In fact, they transcended the division because they did one thing that we're going to look at today and one thing that Paul talks about that Jesus modeled. And so, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 15, and it'll be here on the screen if you don't have your Bible, and it's found in verse 7. And again, remember, there's the vision, so he's writing to the Roman church, in Rome, believers, conquered by the Romans, and here's what he says, and here's the issue, and it says this in verse 15, verse 7. So accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, then God will be glorified, or God will be in order to bring praise to God. Now, here's the key, and here's where he, why he starts out here. He starts out with accept. Accept is the key. Let's be honest. All of us, no matter what age we are, want to be accepted. See, there's two things in life I know about you, and, no, and it's true about me. You want to be loved, and you want to be accepted. Right? It's what every parent wants for their kids, to find their spot in life, to be accepted, to belong. Because when you're accepted, you're felt to be what? Important, special, and you belong. And all of us have this longing inside of us for that acceptance. And the truth of the matter is it runs so deep with inside each and every human being that we begin to look for, if we don't find acceptance from where we need it, we go and look for it until we find it. And some people are so desperate for acceptance, they choose the wrong group of individuals. But they're accepted. They belong. That's why it runs so deep. So when Paul talks about this, it's nothing new. He's saying you need to accept one another. And the reason why he starts with that, because in Romans chapter 14, he opens this discussion up about acceptance. Because not only was there division between Jews and Gentiles, there was a division between how spiritual you were. 
if you were strong in the faith or you were weak in the faith. Now, if you've not been around church very long, I grew up in the church, been a pastor's kid my whole life. And when I was growing up in the church, here's what took place. And I don't know if it necessarily takes place anymore, but people want to go, quote unquote, deep. And people, quote unquote, want to be spiritually mature. Because if you're spiritually mature, then you've arrived and you've made it. So you always try to pursue this spiritual maturity and always go deep. We're not good enough for that stuff. The pastor needs to go deep, right? Because that's where we are. And so we have this view of we're better than anyone who doesn't want to go deep. We're better if we're spiritually mature and we're more mature in our faith than anybody else. That's what was happening here. So the Romans, they were strong in their faith, and what they were doing is they were looking down on people who weren't as strong and who were weak. And Paul wants them to understand as he opens up this discussion, it's not just Jew and Gentile, it's in the church that you have no right to view yourself as higher than anybody else. He says you have to accept one another. So he unfolds this and saying strong, if you're strong in the faith, you have no right to shun or pass judgment on anyone who is weak. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is this. The weak are not going to shun the strong. And they're not going to pass judgment on them. Why? Because they want to get to that level. So Paul begins to unfold this to the Roman church. So that's kind of what's going on. And then when he says, accept one another, that's kind of the backdrop. But then he says, just as Christ what has accepted you. So again, here's what you understand about G- Jesus. He accepts you for who you are and where you were. Because just like me, you were ungodly, powerless, sinner, and an enemy of God. And so when he says this, he says, Christ accepted you in your lowest point. When you were opposed to the things of God, Jesus accepted you and died for you. So what Paul is saying is, you accept because God has done it, and you do it. So what happens is, is that every Christian should accept one another and not have non-essential debates over it. It has nothing to do with political. It has nothing to do with financial. It has nothing to do with social. It has nothing to do with your gender. And that's what Paul's saying. You accept people from any other background because that's what Christ did for you. So all of a sudden, he begins to say, these Gentiles who are turning to Jesus you must accept him. So God is beginning to include the Gentiles. He's including the people who are weak. And you need to accept them. And here's where he wants them to understand and where he goes. Because now he goes from Romans, he goes to Galatians. Now in Galatians, see, they have the same trouble. They have the same issue. It's not just happening with the Roman church, but it's in the church in Galatia. So he wants them to understand that Christians need to see with new eyes. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 3, and I'll read it in verse 20, 28. It says this, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Again, he's in all, he's in all the divisions, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, think about that. There's no divisions. And what he's trying to get them to realize is that there's no divisions and there's no distinctions, but there's one thing and one thing only. And that's you're all together and you're all unified together in the family of God. And how they are unified, how Jew and Gentile can come together and and be one is because of 
Jesus' acceptance for them. See, Jesus adopted them into the family. And see, what Paul highlights is he's not highlighting the divisions. He's not highlighting what's right and what's wrong. What he's highlighting is what they need to do to become a family. So he wants them to understand, and he wants them to to get this perspective, that they're all brothers and sisters from the same bloodline. It doesn't matter how, how much you know about the Bible or not. It's because Jesus adopted you into the family. And when he adopts you into the family... The Christ love unites you and doesn't divide you. So that's what, what he's trying to understand. And so what, what Paul would begin to say is Jesus died, and so he begins to have this plan, the inclusion of Gentiles, not just Jews. So now let's go back to Romans. So he has the problem with the Roman church, he has the problem with the, Rome, the Galatian church. And then he goes back to Romans chapter um, 15 verse 8 says this, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Now let me explain that to you because he continues to unfold this. He's, and, and the key thing, and I highlighted it, Christ has become a servant of the Jews. Now this is significant because if he would have just said Jesus became the servant of the Jews, it wouldn't mean anything. Why? Because Jesus was a Jew. Isn't it true that it's easy to serve someone, to help somebody who thinks like you, who talks like you, who walks like you, who has the same opinions as you do? It is hard to serve someone who hates you. It is hard to serve someone and to love your enemies. So that's why Paul doesn't use Jesus came to be the servant of the Jews. What did he say? He said Christ the Messiah. The one you've been looking for, the Savior of the world, has come not to just serve the Jews, but everyone. And this is so significant because the Jewish people, when the Messiah came, here's their thought of the Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to overthrow the government. These Romans have oppressed us. He's going to kick them out of Palestine and he's going to rule. Because what does a king do? He sets up his throne. And then a king gets people to serve him, doesn't he? But that's not this Messiah. This Messiah comes and he lives his life mission. It's a mission statement found in Luke. And what does it say? I have come not to be served, but to serve. And the key thing is to give my life as a ransom for many. That's his life model and that's what he lives. And so he begins to unpack this saying that Jesus did not just die for the Jewish people. Jesus died for these heathens, these Gentiles. So in all of this, you need to accept one another because that's what I did for you. And so what he wants them to understand is that God wants to be the Savior of the Gentiles as well. It's not just exclusive. God's love is not exclusive to one individual or a group of people. He includes all. And so when he says the patriarchs, here what you have to understand he hits the Jewish people with the patriarchs because when God talks about the patriarchs, he made promises and prophecy all the way back in the Old Testament, didn't he? Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. And it was promised to these men, and they looked and they trusted, but some of them never saw Jesus. 
And when Jesus comes on the scene, what happens is what Paul is saying is that it is the fulfillment of the prophecies, is the fulfillment of the promises to the patriarchs. That Jesus' death and resurrection is a fulfillment of that promise. And that promise extends to all people. And so the Jewish people totally understand that. And then in the verse 9, here's what Paul would say. That the Savior didn't come for the Jews, but he came for the Gentiles as well. And in verse 9, he says, here's why. And he came so the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Or they may give glory to God and show him mercy. See, the Gentiles and the Jews now are able to glorify the Lord. They're able to have a right relationship with Jesus. And so the whole purpose of God including everybody is he's saying, look, the Gentiles I've now included, I did not just come for you. Jewish people, I came for all. And because, see, see, God, here's what God could have done. He could have said, the Jews are my chosen people, and I'm just coming to die for them. But he didn't do that. He had mercy. And he said, I'm going to include everyone. And so now the Gentiles are able to glorify God, to get in a right relationship with God because of what he's done. Look, we're here today because of what Paul said and what Jesus modeled. See, we wouldn't be here today if God just died for Jewish people. I'm not Jewish. I'd be out. But see, God had a bigger plan to just incorporate everyone. And so because he incorporates everyone, he expects the church to accept everyone. It's not just who thinks like you and talks like you and has the same worldview as you. It's everyone. And here's what Jesus wanted people to understand. And and what Paul was saying, church, you need to accept people and one another because Jesus was the model of acceptance. Let me tell you this. Jesus was around people and he liked people who were nothing like him. Nothing like him. Think about this. He came and he touched people who were sinners, people who were outcasts, and people who were unclean. Now let me give you three examples of that. First one. You got Matthew. And we know Matthew is what? A disciple. And Matthew's sitting there behind his tax collector's booth. And Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. And he gives up everything to follow Jesus. Now here's what you have to understand about Matthew. He's the most hated person in the Jewish culture. If you had uh, you know, to rate people from highest to lowest, who's popular and who's not, guess who's on the bottom? Tax collectors. You know who's above them? prostitutes serious so think about that he's at the lowest of the low god says hey i'm going i want you to follow me he goes out of his um you know table he follows jesus and then what does he do he invites jesus to his home and now if matthew is the lowest of the low do you think matthew has great popular friends and people are spiritually mature no He hangs out with tax collectors. People are lowly like him. So he invites his friends, he invites the sinners to come eat with him. And what does Jesus say? Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm too good for you. No. Jesus goes, I'm there. And he has a party. And you know he gets the most resistant from? The religious people, the church people. Oh, how can he be eating with with these sinners? How can he be doing this? But Jesus came. See, he came for those people, and he accepted them. Now, they were dishonest, they cheated, yeah, but God did something in their life. Now, 
Here's the other thing. You think, you think that tax collectors were horrible. Think about the people who were ostracized and put out in the outskirts of town. And they had no human contact except with one another. You know who they were? They were lepers. And so they had this terrible disease and they thought, well, if you get touched or you touch a leper, you're going to contract the disease. So we got to put them outside the city. They have no human contact. You're isolated from everyone. And Jesus touches their life. It says in Luke that there was, a, there was a leper that comes out and says, hey, Jesus, Jesus, would you just heal me? Could you heal me? And you know what Jesus says? He reaches out and says, I'm willing to be healed. Jesus heals him and touches him. He accepts him for who he is, and he says, I'm going to heal you. Now look, after he's healed, what does he do? He reinstates him back into society. So he heals him physically, he heals him spiritually, and he restores him back into society. See, this is the great thing about Jesus. There's no exclusions. And so he, he begins to touch us. Now here's the other thing. He, t- he, he touches unclean people. So he goes from lepers to unclean. Now on the way, he's on the way to, um, to just speaking, and there's whole crowds following him, and there's a woman there who has an issue for years. She's an issue of blood. And what does she do? If I can just touch his hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. Because there's something about this Jesus who loves and accepts people who are outcasts, people who need to be healed. If I just touch it. And he's walking, and there's so many people. What does she do? She touches him, and he goes, who touched me? And his disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? There's a ton of people around you, Jesus. Anyone could have touched you. And he goes, no, somebody touched me. Like power came out of me, and somebody's healed. And so... She's there, and and Jesus turns, and he sees her, and instead of condemning her and saying, I can't believe you did this, you're a Gentile, or you're not spiritually mature enough, he doesn't say that. What he says, he says, woman, go, your faith has what? Made you whole, has healed you. And not only does that, but he, she goes from being unclean to clean. See, the thing is about being unclean is, you had to go through this whole ceremony or whole situation and process to get back to being clean. So you didn't want to touch anyone or anything that was unclean. That's why Peter had a problem until, you know, in Acts when, when God gave him a dream. You don't touch anything unclean. Meat, dead bodies, dead carcasses. You don't do that stuff. So if Jesus is on his way to touch, a, after he touches the woman, he's on his way to heal a girl. She's dead. Now look at If Jesus touches the body, what happens? He becomes unclean. He defiles himself. But he doesn't care, does he? See, he goes and he says, okay, look, everyone out, everyone out of the room. And he touches this girl and she's made whole and she's healed. She goes from unclean to clean. She goes from death to life. That's what Jesus does because his love, it transcends all of that. His acceptance transcends all of that. And Jesus was the model of acceptance. So if he does that, think about this. If he, if he, if he um, transcends all that, if he accepts the, the unclean, if he accepts those who are sinners, if he accepts those who are unclean as well, outcasts, sinners, unclean, he accepts you and I. Because at some point, we were outcasts, sinners, and even maybe unclean. Not in that term, but just unrighteous and not living the way God wants us to live. And what does he do? He comes and he says, I love you so much. 
and I accept you. Even though you're going in the opposite direction of me, then I'm going to die for you. And this division that was caused between sin, when you have us and you have God, there is division. And so he breaks the division down. And what does Jesus say? I'm going to make the gap and the relationship's going to be tied together. And so because he's done that, he says we need to accept other people no matter what. And here's the thing. That the bottom line that Paul is trying to get, and here's what he's trying to say as he would wrap this up. He says that our exceptions, excuse me, our acceptance should be or should have no exceptions. So our acceptance should have no exceptions. Think about that. When you look at the church and you have all this division, should it have really gone further? than the first century? Should it really have gone past 12 men who were fishermen and tax collectors and people who weren't rabbis or teachers? Should it have? No. If you look on paper, you're thinking that there's no way this should have happened. There's no way that there's all this division that the church should have grown. There's no way it should have happened even to this day. But if you look at the church, the divisions didn't cause them to slow down they transcended the divisions and paul taught it jesus modeled it and they lived it they lived what jesus modeled and what paul taught and the holy spirit began to work and extend the church like he does today and it says what the gates of hell will not prevail do you know why they can come together so whole and be fruitful, it's because they understood this, that Jesus was the God, the Son of God, who died for their sins. And if He loved them and accepted them for who they were, then in turn, they could accept other Christians and they could accept other people because of what He did in their life. That's what He did. But here's kind of what we think in church world. See, inside the walls, here's what kind of, here's kind of the pushback, and here's what we think. Yeah, that's great, and that's really good for them. But what about now? Because here's the pushback. If I agree with someone, if I accept someone, then I agree with their lifestyle. See, so we're, we're afraid. We're afraid that if I start accepting someone who doesn't look like me, think like me, have the same religion as me, then I'm accepting what they're doing. I'm agreeing with what they're doing. Let me tell you this. Did Jesus do that? Because, you know, if you look at it, do you think Jesus agreed with Matthew being dishonest because he had dinner with him? I don't think so. And see, acceptance doesn't mean... Agreement. Because if you look at Jesus' life and when he sat down with Matthew, what happened? He didn't say, hey, Matthew, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you're a tax collector and I'm so glad you cheat people and this is, this is wonderful. He didn't say that. You know what he did? He loved him and he accepted him. And ultimately what happened was transformation came in Matthew's life. He was open to the light. He was open to who Jesus was. And what Jesus did was he began to take this one man and put him with 11 others and the church began to grow. Because he loved and he, and he transcended anything and everything culturally and accepted Matthew and his friends for who they were, not for what they did. And he didn't put a rubber stamp on what they did. 
Right? Because even the woman with adultery, what do you say? Go and sin no more. But we have this idea that we have to agree. But that's not Jesus. See, Jesus was a one who accepted without exceptions. His love is unconditional. His acceptance is unconditional. So he expects us to do the same thing. If he models it, then we should live it. And when he, what he's saying to us is also that our exceptions should have our acceptance should have no exceptions. They should have no exceptions because he condi- unconditionally loved people. And here's the thing with all of this. See. What happened was transformation was a byproduct of Christ's love and acceptance. It was a byproduct. See, it wasn't just something that happened naturally. It was just, it was just like over a period of time, these guys were like, oh my gosh, this guy loves me for who I am. He accepts me for who I am. There's something different about this Jesus. And in turn, they begin to follow and begin to obey and begin to believe in who he was and what he, what he came to do. See, think about this. What if Jesus just came for the Jewish people? What would life look like today? Very different. If he just came for one group of individuals that talk like him, look like him, spoke like him, and believed like him. But that just wasn't Jesus. Jesus accepted people and liked people who were nothing like him, who didn't think like him, who lived differently than him, but he loved them and accepted them, not for what they did, but who for who they were. And so what Jesus wants us to understand is this, that when you begin to accept people, you begin to see the way he sees. And when you see the way God sees, guess what happens? You do what he wants you to do. See, all of a sudden your filter changes. See, the people you see, you don't see people who are sinners. You see people who need to be transformed by the love of Jesus. You see people who Christ died for. You see people who he wants in relationship with. See, you see different, and you see that God wants to do a transformation in their life. That's what happens when you begin to to accept, accept them. Not what they do, but who they are. And who they are is someone Christ died for. So now, going all of this, so he, our acceptance has no exceptions, but here's the other thing Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to accept those he's waiting for. What do you mean? Well, let me go back to Peter here. Uh, 2 Peter verse 3, 19 says this. It says, in second, well, I'm just going to read it off here. 2 Peter verse, verse uh, 3, verse 9. I don't even have it. Can you throw it up there, Luke? Let me see. Give me a second. I know what it says. It says this, that God is slow in his promises. And he's slow and he's deliberate because he wants all men not to perish but come to repentance. And God is slow when it comes to time. And it says, the scripture says, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years to God. It, so here's the thing. God slows down. He tarries because he's waiting for people to repent. He's not just, just coming yet. He's tarrying. He's waiting 
because he's delaying because of his desire. What's his desire? That all men shall be saved. Will it happen? It's not for us to decide. It's just a, it just tells you the desire and the heart of God. And what Peter is trying to say is that love is so crucial for you and I. And accepting people is so crucial. Because again, Christ's love unites and doesn't divide. And when if God is waiting for people to come to know him, guess what it, it means for you and I? We become an instrument for his plan and his purpose. See, some of you, God wants to use right where you are, positioned in your work, in your family, in the neighborhood you live in, to reach people for him. God wants to do something great. He wants to use you as an instrument. So he's going to wait. It could be a family member. It could be a neighbor. It could be your boss. It could be your manager. It could be whoever. But God wants to use you to be an instrument, maybe to touch that person's life for Jesus. And that's why he's delaying. Now here's the other kind of side of the coin. The other kind of the side of the coin is this that you still need to be wise in who you accept. Because just like forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting, accepting doesn't mean to be blind. And here's why I say that. Because some of us have been hurt by someone, they've treated us poorly, and so we think, well, I just need to go back and accept them. But you go back and you accept them, but... You accept them for who they are, which is right. But then what happens is you accept the behavior and the way you treat them, treat you. And so they treat you in an ungodly, unhealthy manner. And that's not what the Lord has for you. So you go from unhealthy, I mean from healthy to unhealthy. He doesn't want you to accept that behavior. You don't have to put up with that behavior. Because God, see, God wants to transform their life, but maybe they need a little bit more time. You'll accept who they are, but not what they do. Here's the next, here's the other thing. You've got to be careful when you get to acceptance because we have this like, oh, I just need to accept and love everyone. But there's a danger in that. And what I mean by that is, is I'm not saying the danger, and, and I've seen it with people, is it's a danger when you're not the salt and you're not the light of the world. And so you're around people and your light goes out and your salt loses its flavor. And you don't make a difference in their life. So instead of influencing them, guess what? They influence you. Their morals and their values, which are opposed to God, start rubbing off on you. And then you find yourself that I'm accepting these people. And what's happening is I am losing my morals and I'm losing my values. And then all of a sudden, I've lost being an instrument that God has placed in their lives. So how and what do we do when we accept people? I'll tell you what you do. You listen to the Holy Spirit. You let Him guide you. You let Him direct you. You love the way Jesus loved. You accept the way Jesus accepted. But you ask the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. You know what He can only do? Transform hearts and convict sin. That's not your job. Your job is just to love like Jesus. And accept like Jesus, because in turn, they will see Jesus in and through your life. And hopefully, they will do what Paul said. They will glorify God. That's 
what we want. So what does it look like? So if I had to put it back up on the screen, what, what does it look like for us when it comes to hope and wholeness in this church? If we're talking about accepting people and this is who we are, what does it look like from a hope and wholeness perspective? Here's what it looks like. It looks like when you accept without holding anything back or exceptions and you, and you accept the person and not what they do. It means they're able to find hope. And there's only hope in who? Jesus. Not hope in Joe, not hope in Basin Church, but Jesus. And they begin to find hope in that. And then here's the thing. When you find hope and they understand, man, these people love me unconditionally. They accept me unconditionally. Who is this Jesus? They begin to ask questions and hopefully they in turn glorify him. But not only that, but then they step in a journey where God takes them from what? Where they are to where they need to be. So they're broken and he begins to shape them and they find wholeness for their brokenness. That's what happens. And so when we accept unconditionally, that's what happens. Not the behavior, but the person. And God begins to transform people's lives. And see, you begin to see the seats fill up. And you begin to see the neighbors transformed and your manager transformed and your family transformed because God brings hope and he brings wholeness. See, and so here's what we are. Here's who we are as a church. And I'm passionate about this, but here's who we are as a church. So now we live authentically and we're transformed, what? By God so that what? We can forgive and accept unconditionally. That's who we are. And we're not going to sway from that. We're not going to sway from that. Everything we do lines up with that. That is who we are. So if someone says who is based in church, they are people who live authentic lives, who are transformed by God because they can forgive and accept unconditionally. That is who we are. And that is what's going to change this community. And that's what's going to change this world. And that's what's going to change your work environment, your home environment, and anywhere else you go. Because the love of Jesus goes with you and flows through you. So, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to do this. God has been placing someone in your life and you know who it is. And God wants you to be the instrument to that person. So I want to pray for that person. You pray for that person. And you say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in this relationship? Give me words to say, give me the wisdom to live out love and acceptance and give me the knowledge so you can transform their lives. So as I pray, I want you to name that person under your breath, give it to the Lord and ask him to strengthen you to be a person who lives authentically that's transformed by God so you can forgive and accept unconditionally and so that they can glorify their heavenly father in heaven.